Welcome to the Mental Models Podcast. I'm George Baxter, and I'm a hedge fund manager for SaberPoint Capital Management. I'm Dan Krawczyk. I'm a neuroscientist and professor at the University of Texas at Dallas. And together we explore mental models. That is how we view the world and what the world gives us for feedback. It's not a brain in a jar. That's the gist. If you've been enjoying mental models, this podcast, and the types of biases and thought strategies we employ and advocate for here, please make sure to acquire our book, Understanding Behavioral Bias, and bias has a dollar sign for the S. It's available on Amazon, and you could really do us a favor by leaving a review if you like that book and uh, choose to buy it. Yeah, we do take a fair amount of time to put these uh, podcasts together, and we want to know that it actually is meaningful, and it's something that people really enjoy. And if you really do enjoy the podcast, it would be very helpful to see your support through a purchase of our book. It's kind of like the uh, PBS pledge drive, uh, so to speak. Right. And it would improve our mental model of ourselves and how we're doing to get a little bit of feedback. So we appreciate it. Well, George, a uh, question that's been on my mind and really troubling me is where is Waldo? Uh, I, you know, I have always struggled with finding Waldo. I actually was at uh, the uh, Riverwalk in San Antonio a few years back, and there was someone dressed as Waldo, just kind of hiding amongst the people. And it was very charming, and there were a lot of photo ops <laughs> with that character. So we, of course, are talking about the Where's Waldo uh, book series, which involved really complex scenes with lots and lots of little people at circuses and fairs and all kinds of complex drawings with, you know, just huge information complexity visually. And Waldo is a little character with glasses, a red and white striped shirt, blue pants, and a little red and white hat. And the goal was always to find that character amid all this uh, visual noise. And there would also be distractor characters who would be wearing a striped shirt, but they'd be um, not Waldo. And so uh, what's interesting about that that game is uh, it's really the classic problem of how do we select amongst all the uh, information and kind of create signal from noise. I always thought about this as uh, an attention problem. It's like uh, you're, you're scanning this scene with the goal of finding this one character. But what if it was find Jenny, who's like, uh, I think there is a, a female Waldo character, and sometimes you would find her, and uh, that would change the whole problem, right? So suddenly now you're looking for a different kind of uh, visual input. And you, all the while, you're missing um, all of these other possible things you could look at. And this is known as selection bias. We have uh, an inability to, to acquire all the information uh, from from the world around us. So we're going to select some of it and uh, focus on that information. And then we helplessly uh, morph our intake of information around that particular goal. Um, and the danger there to our mental models and our picture of the world is that we start to overrepresent that that one thing we've focused on, and we're finding a lot of evidence for it um, and failing to notice uh, other very real sources of data out there in the environment. Yeah, so I mean, the way I kind of think about it is if you think about a uh, one of the t- connect the dots problem where there's a you know a number of different dots and you connect certain dots and that creates a picture uh, but there's a lot of dots that aren't necessarily used at all uh, but you'll always be able to find uh, those those dots that make the picture uh, while perhaps ignoring uh, the rest of the information that's there, you're overemphasizing just one very small select piece of information simply because it's on your mind. You know, a, a good example is if uh, you're in the market for a car and you go to the Toyota de- dealership and, uh, you know, you see a, 
uh, a certain model of the Toyota, and you see that same model over and over and over again on the street after you've gone and, and looked at it, it's because it's in, you know, it's it's at the front of mind. It's the first thing that you're actually aware of. And even those those that model of car had surrounded you uh, at all the time, uh, you didn't notice it before because it wasn't something uh, that you were focused on. Right, and that this can affect our probability estimates. Uh, we, we've talked previously about the availability heuristic, where if, if information just happens to be available, we we uh, overestimate its its probability. Um, you could see that this would occur in your car example. You're suddenly now thinking, well, now others are buying this model car too, and you know maybe I should buy stock in Toyota because we're all buying this car. <laughs> and all the while, there's a lot of Hondas around that you're just not noticing or discounting. This also feeds into um, the confirmation bias, which we've talked about before, and, and a lot of people are aware of this, that once you have a particular hypothesis, you begin to rally evidence for it and neglect um, the negative counter evidence. And you could see where this would evolve from that kind of tendency, because uh, once you have some um, idea kind of implanted in your mind, you almost helplessly look at uh, cases where that, that seems to fit. It's like we seek out kind of making sense of the world, not ge- deconstructing a sensible world, right? And so that, that's not our natural mode of operating, but it's kind of what's needed to counter this this selection bias is to entertain multiple perspectives. And if you're going back to your consumer example with cars, if you, if you considered a Honda, uh, make a special effort to notice all the Hondas out there that you didn't by as well, and you start to recalibrate so you don't inappropriately estimate the world as fitting your own personal reality has become. The reality also is that you should think about the fact and and just be aware of the fact that you are looking at this particular issue and this phenomena actually tends to occur. So if you have some awareness of it, then perhaps you can say, okay, well, I've been researching this particular issue. And one that comes to my mind for, for uh, uh, SaberPoint, uh, we looked at Helen of Troy at one point in time earlier in the year and the, uh, the hydro flask. And all of a sudden I noticed that there were hydro flasks everywhere. Uh, when in, in reality, they had been uh, pervasive uh, prior to my noticing uh, of their existence. Yeah, this can happen all over the place, especially with visual visual inputs, you know, because we're always, uh, we have a, a limited focus of attention and we can only put it on certain uh, things at one time. And we can sometimes be helpless uh, as to what kind of jumps into our uh, consciousness. Um, and it's very, very potent uh, stuff. So uh, probably we would be remiss without mentioning um, the invisible gorilla experiment, which you've probably seen since it's become such a pervasive uh, psychological phenomenon. I used to um, always surprise undergraduates teaching about attention with this particular experiment, which was done by Christopher Chabrice, uh and Daniel Simons. And they actually wrote a book on this called The Invisible Gorilla, which we'll link to in the show notes. Um, and what this was was a, a sort of a replication of, a, of an old demonstration that had been done, um, but they did it very colorfully with... Uh, it's a basketball game with players wearing black shirts and white shirts, and they're just doing a passing drill, kind of moving in a circle. And um, somewhere along the line, a, a gorilla comes through. Someone in a, in a costume store gorilla suit walks through slowly, beats his chest in the middle of the game, and then walks on. And uh, what you do, what you classically did in that experiment is instruct people to count the number of passes that the one of the teams makes. And just by making it about the passes, you almost completely don't see the gorilla. That's become 
just emblematic of this phenomenon. And uh, we we often miss things. It's sometimes called change blindness, where I, if you sometimes I, if if you flicker between two pictures and there's some subtle difference. Um, you'll just fail to notice it completely. And then once you learn of the gorilla or learn of uh, some, some change in an image, you can't help but see it. You're, you're just powerless to avoid seeing it once it's out. And so, I mean, that's where uh, the, the gorilla experiment became so famous, I think, is like now you really can't do the demo because everyone knows it's there. And we've just outed to even more people by, by discussing it on this, uh, on this podcast. And uh, you, you can't help but see the gorilla once you know it, it's going to show up in the scene. Yeah, so whenever you become hyper-focused on one piece of evidence. Uh, other things that can be there that are quite blatant uh, can be missed. So uh, it's always good to be cognizant of the presence of a particular issue that you're focused on and that you may be overemphasizing that particular piece of evidence and that there might be other evidence out there that you're ignoring because of this overemphasis. With investing, if if someone has engaged in some advocacy and, you, and you're sort of reading about their positions, that that can leave you open to, to some selection bias as well. Where now you're you're sort of hyper tuned to to noticing things that are consistent with the thesis that's been given to you. The reality is there may be other positions one could take, and so it's helpful to look at maybe multiple different commentators on on a particular issue, just so that you don't become unwittingly biased toward only selecting that information that that kind of fits with. A, a pre-implanted idea. And it's particularly dangerous because I think these can be subtle. It's like you don't need to be hit over the head with a possible outcome that's there. Even just the suggestion of it can uh, lead you in different ways. And I, I'm reminded of some of these very subtle experiments that have been done scientifically, like the mere exposure effect. Uh, Robert Zients is a um, social psychologist from the 20th century who did a lot of work on that. And it was just uh, simply exposing someone to particular visual information or particular products would would bias them later. Even if they didn't have a strong memory of having seen that uh, product before, they would tend to prefer it. And we tend to distort our preferences for things that we have chosen previously when we were kind of neutral on. So the point of it is all of our behavior has some uh, sort of influence and that that can sometimes uh, form a mental picture for you and you're not even aware it's happening. So just consuming a diversity of, of information and seeking out a lot of facts is important. So you keep a kind of a balanced viewpoint. Yeah, I think that's about, that's about it. I think that covers it quite nicely. Okay. So uh, that was selection bias. Uh, it feeds into a whole variety of other things like confirmation bias. Uh, it's fed by salience bias as well, which we've talked about previously on this show. Um, and in the show notes, we'll link to um, Christopher Chabris and Daniel Simon's interesting book, uh, The Invisible Gorilla, about change blindness and this phenomenon. So um, we're going to go back and uh, search for Waldo some more. Talk to you later. Thank you. Thank you for spending your time listening to the Mental Models Podcast. Content matters because your brain does not exist in a jar. Please subscribe. Visit mentalmodelspodcast.com for updates on Dan and George's upcoming book release titled Understanding Behavioral Bias, A Guide to Improving Financial Decision Making. Also available on mentalmodelspodcast.com are show notes, book reviews, and upcoming behavioral finance seminars with Dan and George. The Mental Models Podcast can be found on SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio, and Twitter. Please subscribe, and thank you for listening.